Hello all, welcome to episode 11 of Seller Speak. I'm Ram Menin, your director for community outreach at Seller App. Today we are joined by someone known as e-commerce sourcing known as Master of Sourcing, Ashish Mogan, a founder of Hong Kong-based IMEX Sourcing Services, a sourcing and a product development company which helps Amazon users procure materials from Asia, quality control and complete project management. Over the last seven years, Ashish has been focused on creating solutions just to importers so that they can reduce their time investment and cut costs while procuring materials from Asia. When he's not meeting with clients and creating complex strategy solutions, he has his personal blog, thesourcingblog.com, and a YouTube channel in the same name, which again further focus on procuring materials from China. We welcome Ash to Seller Speak. Great, thank you for having me. Uh, Ash, first up, uh, you were a procurement expert before starting your own venture at IMX Sourcing Services. What led you to this? What led you to set up this agency in China, knowing that there's a lot of uncertainty involved? And what kind of challenges did you face, and how did you tackle these issues? So my relationship with China actually started uh, well before I came to China. So when I was at university, I started bringing in products from China and India. So my first venture was a wholesale e-commerce website uh, where we were selling all kinds of products, but uh, a lot of like fashion products. And, and I did that for about five or six years. And, you know, during that process, I had to communicate with suppliers. It was a great experience, but there were also a lot of hiccups in the process. So at the you know end of that, I thought it, I, I was really fascinated by China with you know, the boom in China, it was in news all the time. So I finally thought, you know, might as well go to the other side and see how that goes. And once I came to China, I never really went back. So the first year was just getting to know the culture, getting to know the markets, where the suppliers are, how everything works. I didn't really have a business plan at that stage. And from there, I kind of started participating in a lot of online discussions, answering questions for people in terms of how to deal with suppliers. And that eventually led to um, me starting IMX Sourcing. And, and you know, this was uh, almost more than seven years ago, in fact. We started off with uh, just two people and, and we've kind of grown to about 25 plus people now. So, so it's been an exciting journey. To answer the second part of your question, uh, there were no real challenges as such. I think the biggest challenge was really the language. And, and you know, there was also a steep learning curve when it came to, uh, I mean, there's the international side of things, but there's the QC and compliance side, which tends to be a lot more technical. So, so and I'm still learning stuff about, uh, you know, compliance because it's, it's, it's a massive area and very technical. So, so that, that was uh, one of the challenges I would say. So do you think there's any requirements, let's say to learn the language to go ahead with it? I mean, if you, are importing from China or learning the language is not really necessary. Uh, if you're running a business in China, that would definitely, uh, you know, give you an edge. But having said that, uh, more and more people are speaking English in China. So from, from the point of view of running a business, you can always have a team to, you know, sort of get you going. Uh, we have a lot of bilingual people working here. So language hasn't really been that much of a barrier. Uh, you know, unless I was to talk to suppliers myself, uh, and you know, when you're talking about product issues or quality issues, that's when, as a foreigner, uh, you know, you might face some challenges. Okay. Uh, so this is for all the Amazon sellers who are new to Amazon FBA 
or sourcing items. You know, after researching and finalizing a profitable product, uh, you'd want to sell. Uh, there's always that critical stage of procuring materials for it. And in layman terms, uh, you know, what do you think are the major factors? You know, one has to look up when choosing a reliable supplier. Well, I think the, the most important thing is actually defining what a reliable supplier means for you because, uh, you know, it can mean completely different things for different people. So, so that's, that's really important. Uh, the other part of this equation is defining your QC standards up front and then talk about pricing. So most people do it the other way around. You know, they go on Alibaba, they shortlist like 10 suppliers and they find the three cheapest ones. And then they start talking about specifications and features and stuff like that. So that process uh, should be exactly what you want and then get into pricing. But other than that, in terms of the factors you would look for in a supplier, I would say, you know, some of the key ones are how long they've been in business making that specific product. Uh, speed and quality of their responses. So are they, are they quick in getting back to you? Uh, do they answer technical questions well? Uh, the third factor is, do they really value your business? Uh, so this, this is an important one. You want to be working with someone who values your business. And, and finally, are they open to inspections and audits? Most suppliers uh, these days are open to inspections and audit, but every now and then, you know, you run into suppliers who are not always uh, willing to cooperate when it comes to inspection. So, so that's, that's uh, something we, uh, I would advise people should look at. I think this is in relation to the previous question as well. Uh, you know, should new importers be working with a trader or an agent that represents a factory, you know, with the factory or with the factory directly, or you know, what are the tips you would give the viewers to improving communications and building, you know, kind of a long-term lasting relationship with the suppliers? Uh, so again, this kind of, uh, you know, boils down to your goals. I would, I would kind of divide, uh, I mean, there are probably three options here. You have, uh, trading companies and you have a uh, sourcing companies like us, you know, I sourcing and, and there's plenty of other sourcing companies out there. And then you've got, uh, you know, the option of working directly with the factories and they all have the pros and cons. So if you were working with a trading company, the main benefit I could think of is uh, if you wanted to buy a very large range of products from one supplier, trading companies tend to be, you know, they tend to have a pretty decent sized catalog They tend to be better at communicating and stuff. Uh, and normally they're also a good fit for smaller orders. Uh, sourcing companies, I'll actually come to sourcing companies later, you know, working with suppliers, uh, it's, it's a lot easier to do if you have the resources to manage that. So there are two key things there. One is, do you have the time to uh, handhold the suppliers because the suppliers do need a lot of handholding, uh, you know, monitoring the process and kind of staying in touch with them uh, to see what's happening with the orders, educating them in terms of your compliance requirements. And, and especially you have someone who can do this in Chinese, that, that makes a huge difference uh, in terms of the quality of the product. And, and I would say other than that, it's also about what sort of knowledge have you got about uh, compliance and QC processes and stuff. If you have a background in you know, those areas, then it's a lot easier to work with suppliers. Or if you have a supply chain guy in your team, it's easier to work with the factories. So and then, when, the, oh, please go ahead, sorry. 
Yeah, sorry. So I was just saying the third option is uh, working with a sourcing company and that can work for new importers who, who, you know, know very little about the process. And there are companies that would specialize in working with uh, newer importers. And then there are companies like ours where we focus on kind of, uh, you know, importers who are doing uh, decent sized volumes. And, and, you know, the advantages there are you can actually focus on your core capabilities and outsource the process with the sourcing is a very, very manpower intensive process. And also being on the ground can make a pretty big difference because you have to, you know, chase factories, call them up, this time zone differences and a lot of other things like that. And then it's also about having resources. So for example, in terms of the QC process, we have a process that's been refined over the last seven years. We've added clauses to the contract. Uh, we, have, we have a strategic partnership with say, say TUV, where you know, uh, when it comes to compliance requirements, we understand what the requirements for different products or different markets are. So, so that's where the value add really is. You know, if you're looking to scale a business quickly, it also makes sense to outsource the process. You know, as you probably know of all the people, you know, there could be a lot of risk getting first into sourcing from China without any knowledge or experience, you know. How should a sourcing UB handle this, you know, crisis like, you know, low quality of the source materials or shipment delays, you know, how can a beginner ensure that, you know, these product, product qualities, you know, consistent, you know, when sourcing from Asia? Um, I think uh, the most important thing is, uh, prioritizing due diligence over inspection. So, so in my opinion, uh, the process really starts well before there is a crisis. You know, crisis normally happens because uh, when, uh, you know, especially for a lot of the e-commerce sellers, when they find a new product, they're really excited about launching the product. Uh, so, so they go to Alibaba, talk to a few suppliers and they send the deposit for an order. And we actually spend a lot of time in this phase. You know, we, we could sometimes spend 30 to 60 days shortlisting a supplier before we place an order. And that's because we know that the time spent upfront in most cases would be recovered during the production state, and especially during the, you know, the crisis management state, because you can completely eliminate that stage by spending the time upfront. So, so due diligence, uh, you know, really trumps any QC process that happens after the production has started. So that would be the first thing. Uh, the second thing is it's very important to detect issues while the goods are still in China. So, you know, inspections are obviously important, getting the supplier to send you updates and you pictures of uh, different phases during production. Uh, you know, if, if, if you have a low level of trust in the supplier, if it's your first order doing a more intensive inspection, for example, checking like 50% of the goods as opposed to 5%. So, so there's a lot of things you can do, but the key is to find issues while the goods are still in China and while you haven't paid the balance to the supplier, as opposed to finding them once the goods have left China, because Normally, in that case, it's too late to be able to do anything. In Ash, in one of your interviews, you have said that you know there are certain advantages for an FBA seller to work with smaller factories rather than you know with the big factories. You know, could you please elaborate on this point? Yeah, I wouldn't say there's any advantage in working with a smaller factory or vice versa. I think it's more about uh, it's very important. That there's a match between the value of the order or the size of the importer and the size of the factory. Because what happens is if the factory is really large and it's a small importer, 
it's it's really hard to get them to prioritize your order. We always see delays in such scenarios. The factory wouldn't go out of the way to customize products, which is which is a major issue if you're private labeling your products. Uh, and and again, if you're a really large buyer for a very small factory, that could mean that you have compliance issues, QC issues. Uh, so so it's very important that there is a fit between the size of the factory and and the size of the importer. You know, we have heard that you're an expert negotiator yourself, and you know your team at IMX, you know, handles China-specific negotiation strategies. You know, to all the importers out there, you know, who's new to sourcing and would say, you know, this is the best way to negotiate with all the suppliers. You know, what is a good kind of a procedure you have to follow? Uh, so <laughs> negotiating in China is, I mean, I think the number one thing is a patience. Suppliers are very patient, and and I think one of the things with negotiation is when you are excited about launching a product, uh, you know, you're chasing the supplier all the time. And that, that doesn't really help with your, uh, you know, negotiations. I, I like to say that Chinese in general are very patient people. That's one of the, you know, great virtues that I see people have here. So if you're chasing them every second day about, hey, you know, what do you think of my offer? Normally it gets hard. But I think now talking about the process, it's, it's very important to not start the negotiation until very late in the process. You know, uh, the standard process that we, I think we discussed this a while ago, people would do is go to Alibaba, negotiate on price, and then talk about other things. It's important you talk about the quality standards, come to an agreement on what the specs and everything would be, because you will find when you start having that discussion, the prices start going up. The first quotes a supplier on Alibaba would send you on Alibaba or any other trade platform would be based on a product that in most cases doesn't meet the compliance requirements of most developed countries. Then when you start talking about those little things, they will start raising the price saying, hey, if you want this much RAM, then this would be $2 more if you want to make this change. So once you've come to an agreement on the standard, that's when you start talking about prices. So what I suggest is shortlisting three suppliers based on the other criteria that we discussed earlier, you know, speed of responsiveness, um, uh, you know, being able to manufacture that product and then get into pricing negotiation. And, and other than that, you know, if your volume is small, which tends to be an issue with a lot of people starting out in Amazon, you have to have a convincing story about why, you know, how your volumes are going to grow. But, but the fact is suppliers have heard a lot of that and they, they're pretty immune to it now. So uh, in terms of negotiating, uh, nothing beats, you know, volumes. That's what the suppliers want. If you can give them volumes, uh, you know, they tend to be a lot more flexible. Uh, a final tip here is it's always a good idea to renegotiate after you place about three orders with a factory in China, because at that point you have kind of, uh, you know, shown that you are a stable business, you are serious about this product and ideally you've grown your volumes and that's a good time to renegotiate as well. Apart from the B2B companies, you know, is there any other non-profit groups, you know, which assist people who are new to sourcing from the Asian supply market? Um, I can't really think of any non-profit groups off the top of my head, but in Hong Kong, there's the HKTDC, the Hong Kong Trade Development Council. Uh, there's quite a lot of blogs out there. Uh, you know, China Importal is a really good blog. Uh, uh, I have a blog called the Sourcing Blog, and there are a few others out there. 
And then finally, there's uh, a lot of educational events and conferences that normally happen around the trade shows. So, uh, you know, with Global Sources, there's the uh, Global Sources Summit, and there's quite a few things going around the Canton Fair time as well. So those are all good resources for people just getting started. I know that you have spent several years, you know, working in China, but, you know, one of your major markets is also the UK and US importers. You know, there's and always a drive to, you know, get some new ideas, introduce some new prototypes to the market. You know, how important do you think it is for the last sellers to innovate and you know, to be up to date on their selling techniques? Uh, so it's getting increasingly important. I think especially the last two years, private labels getting very difficult. For when Amazon FPA first started, you know, about five years ago, it was a great time to get in. You could pick up anything, put your brand on it, and you know, uh, take a course out there that will guide you through the process, and you could make uh, pretty decent money. Now that's not happening anymore. Uh, Amazon has raised the barriers to stay in the game, so that's one challenge. Uh, so yeah, it's it's increasingly important to customize and. And I like to think there are a few different phases of customization. So, so as a minimum, you could add some feature upgrades, you know, change colors, those little minor changes you can make to differentiate yourself. Then you have a uh, bundling. So you could bundle your product with other products that, you know, in combinations that don't exist in the marketplace. Uh, so that's one way to differentiate yourself. Even that is pretty short term though, you know, because within a few months, if the product's doing well, you'll find competitors. Uh, coming out with the same bundles. So, so that takes us to new product development. And again, you know, you could have simple uh, new product development projects where you come up with a product that has good demand, but might be actually fairly simple to manufacture. And those are the best ones. Or you could come up with something very complex, you know, uh, patented and stuff. And that gives you long-term competitive advantage because then you essentially block out competitors. You know, to, to touch base on you know, all the discussions we have so far, you know, what is a kind of a checklist you would keep in mind to establish and execute a su successful sourcing strategy? Um, I would say, uh, you know, be extremely clear on the products that you want. Again, define them in as much detail as you can. And this is, this is easier said than done because like 80, 90% of the import inquiries that we get are too basic for us to be able to get an accurate quote or to be able to understand the potential issues. So that's really important. And you know, there are ways to do that. You can go on YouTube and uh, watch videos on the manufacturing process for that product. Or you could read reviews, especially negative reviews from competing products on Amazon. So there's a lot of ways to find out, you know, what the issues with the product are, what the specs should be. And once you've done that, create a RFQ a request for quotation then go to Alibaba, you know, start talking to suppliers, drill down your three best suppliers. And then I would get them to make samples. And once I have approved samples from three suppliers, that's when I would start negotiating. That's when I start talking price. And at that point, you're actually better placed to negotiate because the supplier has invested, you know, three to six weeks, sometimes two months creating that sample. So they want to go ahead with the transaction as well. That's the time when, you know, you can talk pricing and, and, you know, uh, it's it's really important that you're not cutting corners in terms of quality just to save 10 cents, etc. Because uh, normally you would end up paying more in terms of your return rate. You would end up killing your sales in terms of negative reviews. So uh, that's that's 
uh, a couple more things I do at the production stage, ask the supplier for uh, status updates, pictures. I would definitely, as a minimum, I would do an inspection. And, and yeah, that, that, that's the process that we follow pretty much. No, uh, lastly, as you mentioned, you know, you have your own online blog as well as your YouTube channel, the sourcingblog.com, you know, which has a lot of useful and practical information, you know, on sourcing from Asian suppliers. You know, this blog and the channel gets a lot of traction, you know, gets a lot of uh, feedback and reviews, you know. Uh, so how has the feedback been so far? Uh, the feedback has been great, you know, it's, it's actually, uh, I actually enjoy the process of writing in the blog because it makes me think through our processes and see where optimizations could be made. And it also makes you feel really good when someone who reads the blog reaches out to you because it, you know, it kind of makes you feel that all that effort is worth it. And, and it's a great channel for me personally to get feedback on the sort of challenges people are facing. So it kind of allows us to evolve our services or create, you know, the ad hoc services to support our core business. So yeah, it's, it's been a great experience. I've been loving it. To kind of round off on the discussion we have had so far, you know, is there any pointers you want to give out to all our viewers out there? Um, we have actually uh, literally we're almost in the process of uh, finishing this. We're coming up with a checklist uh, that people can use to shortlist uh, sourcing companies because, you know, with sourcing companies, they come in all shapes and sizes. It's really important to know whether you need a sourcing company in the first place. And we, I think we have an article on that on the website. I'll send you a link later. But there's a very useful checklist uh, which you could share with your readers or with your, with your listeners. Uh, uh, I'll, and, and I can send that to you after this, uh, after this call. Interesting, yes. That is actually a perfect idea. I'm pretty sure all the importers out there are waiting for this checklist to come out to make the life much more easier. Ash, thank you once again. Thank you for your time. Uh, it's been a really great conversation we've had so far. Great. Thanks a lot, Ron. Really nice talking to you and thanks for having me. Thank you to all of you out there. Please subscribe on our YouTube channel, like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram, and please do not hesitate to go to our website www.sellerapp.com and check our free seven-day trial. Thank you once again.